Well, this is our last session on the coming of Christ. You would think that you could do a lesson or two on Christmas and that would be enough, but there's so much involved in the story, not only before, but after. And uh, today we're going to wrap it up. So excited to do this lesson with you. And uh, let's talk about it for just a minute. Um, First of all, I want to uh, just remind us where we've been. The wise men have come sometime after the birth of Jesus. We believe it could be as long as uh, two years after. Uh, Mary and Joseph are living in Bethlehem, and uh, they come and they worship. They've come through Jerusalem, and, and they've asked where the king of the Jews was to be born, and they were told that he would be born in Bethlehem. Herod's aware of all this. Herod, who is um, a really evil king, a man who killed his own wife, killed three of his sons because they were a threat to him in his throne, uh, killed other relatives, was um, very, um, very insecure about his rule. And so um, the scripture says, and let's begin reading in Matthew 2, verse 12. So the wise men, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they could have gone back through Jerusalem and told Herod where Jesus was staying so he could come and worship him, which we know was not going to happen. And uh, the Holy Spirit warns these men, and they respond, and they go back to their country by another route. And that's, that's very important. Now let's read in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Oh, does that sound familiar? I don't know if you remember this, but back in chapter 1 of Matthew, when Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary because he had suspected that she had had an affair outside of marriage um, or before their marriage, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary. So he's had this happen to him at least once before. So an angel of the Lord appeared to, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's a quote from Hosea 11, verse 1. Let's stay with these three uh, verses for just a bit. So um, back to verse uh, 13, if you would. In the middle of the night, Joseph has this dream. Is it the same day that the wise men left? I wouldn't doubt it. We don't know that for sure. But it says when they had gone, when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And um, what happens Uh, is that Joseph 
acts immediately. Look at the next verse. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. I don't know any of us today that would be that flexible. Uh, You know, you're sleeping away and God comes to you and says, uh, get your family up. You're going to go to New York City. And um, you go that night. Um, But that's what happened. Joseph, um, I'm so impressed with him. He's so responsive to God. When uh, God spoke to him initially through an angel in a dream about Mary, taking Mary as, as his wife, he does it. He gets up and he does it right away. In this case, he He's awakened after the dream, and he doesn't even let the night finish itself out. He's on the road before daybreak. And uh, just what a, what a great person of obedience. Well, this is uh, very significant. Let's go on and read in verse 16, and we're going to uh, see what Herod's up to. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Let's let's stop there for just a minute in verse 16. So you might remember from last week that Herod asked the Magi, when did the star arise in the sky? And they gave him a date, and it must have been roughly two years ago from the time that he decides to do this, or maybe less. I'm I'm thinking that he probably gave himself a buffer of at least some months on one end and, and, and on down. He wants to make sure that he's got this boy who was supposed to be king of the Jews. So he gives this order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem two years old and under. And, um, you know, we may think uh, that this was a a huge slaughter, and it it is. You know, if it was one boy, it would be a huge slaughter. Um, But this was a very small town. I I read one source that estimated that there may have been 20 20 young boys uh, who would have uh, been slain in in this uh, slaughter, so to speak. Um, Bethlehem was a, a very small place and a small town. Uh, let's go ahead and read verse 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And this was a quotation from Jeremiah, verse 31, verse Chapter 31, verse 15. And so this this awful thing happens. And um, we can see now why God chose Joseph to be the father of Jesus. In many ways, he's insignificant. He seems to have no major function in uh, Jesus' life uh, that we can see. But he's obedient He's quick to obey, and that was important in this case. I can imagine that when uh, Herod realized that he had been uh, tricked 
by the wise men that he acted quickly. I don't think he waited for two or three months to decide to kill the boys two years old and under in Bethlehem. He was on it right away. And Jesus and Joseph and Mary needed to be gone by then. And they were because Joseph had obeyed. I'd like you to look at another passage of scripture right now. Um, There's a passage of scripture in Revelations 12, um, verses 1 through 9, that are very interesting in this regard. We're going to read them, and I I want to just warn you ahead of time that uh, because we're dealing with the book of Revelation, it's a particular kind of literature that is very um, heavy with uh, symbolism. It's um, not so much concerned with chronology as it is with events, and uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, figure everything out, but I want you just to read this with me. And then we're going to talk about uh, the significance of this passage. So this is Revelation 12. The um, Apostle John is, um, has written this under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And I just need to pause and let you know that that rule all the nations with an iron scepter is a quotation from Psalm chapter 2. And I believe the reference verse on that is 9, Psalm 2, 9. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. We're going to skip verse 6 and go to verse 7 at this point. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and all his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Ah, we're getting the definition of who this is, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now let's stop there for just a minute. We're going to go back over some of these verses. So we've gotten the identification of the dragon. The dragon, the red dragon, who stands in front of the woman who's about to give birth with the intent of devouring the child is Satan. What does that sound like? It sounds like what was attempted with King Herod back when Jesus was born. That Herod was poised to kill Jesus because he was a threat to his throne. I want to remind us today that um, 
something that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe the reference on that is uh, verse, verse 12. Let's go there for just a minute. Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in the case of Jesus, the struggle wasn't so much against Herod. It was against the one who was inspiring Herod, who was Satan himself. Paul nails it when he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, we look at people around us that cause us difficulty and we think our problem is our neighbor or our problem is um, this person I work with. But that's not the problem. The problem is the, the devil. The problem is Satan and his forces who are inspiring people to do evil things. And so this passage in Revelation lets us know that this is a greater event than just uh, a King Herod and uh, wise men and Joseph and Mary, baby Jesus. This is, this is an event that involves Satan himself. And there's a very real struggle that is happening and did happen and continues to happen. Let's go back into uh, uh, the first part of Revelation 12, and we'll, uh, we need to identify the woman for just a minute. Um, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. A very interesting picture of this woman with all these um, things. Um, you know, you, you think about sun, moon, and stars all Present at the same time, that doesn't happen. That's kind of an unusual picture. Let's go to verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And we might say, well, that's Mary. Well, Mary doesn't really fit the picture of that first verse. Um, And so it's possible that this is more um, believing Israel, that believing Israel is, is really giving birth to Jesus through Mary. And uh, so the, the symbolism is a little bit difficult there, but don't, don't um, write it off just because we can't fully uh, explain all the symbolism. There's enough here to let us know that Satan was not about to let Jesus come into the world without a struggle. And so he was poised And he had chosen his servant, Herod, to carry out his wishes. Did Herod even know he was being used by Satan to do this? I'm sure he didn't. He was just possessed by selfishness and hatred and insecurity. And he had been so possessed by Satan throughout his lifetime that he didn't know anything different. And uh, this was an attempt on the life of Jesus. Now you think about what would have happened had Jesus at this point been killed by Herod. Well, I think we could say that 
because he was God's son and, 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 and would have been killed that perhaps his death would have meant our salvation. We would never have had his teaching. We would never have had his example of how to live. His no disciples would have been prepared to carry the good news to the, to the ends of the earth. See, it was God's plan that he be killed, but it was the wrong time. There were other times in Jesus' life, and uh, that would be an interesting study sometime. I, I took some time yesterday to just go through um, half a dozen times in Jesus' life where there were attempts made on his life. And he gets away. There were twice when the Jews tried to stone him and he slipped away. There were other times when they were plotting to kill him and they were never able to pull it off. But they were able to pull it off when the time was right, when God knew that the time was right, when all that had been um, accomplished by Jesus had been accomplished. And so this was not the time. Just something interesting to uh, think about as we pursue this story. Well, let's go to verse 19 of uh, chapter 2 of Matthew. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in Egypt. We don't know for sure how long they were there. Um, We can assume that it was years. And uh, verse 19 says that after Herod died... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. (laughs) This man, here's the third dream that he gets from from the Lord. And it's another moving on dream. The Lord said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. Now, it doesn't say that he did it in the middle of the night, um, but he did obey. Um, He knew God's voice. And I don't know how settled they had been in Egypt, but he knew when God spoke. And he got up and he did what the Lord told him to do. And the family, we assume that it was just a family of three by this time still. Um, They take off and they go to the land of Israel, and and their plan is to return to Bethlehem and to continue with um, his business there. But verse 22 gives us a clue of what happens here. And uh, it says this, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And I'm not going to read the the last part of that just yet. So Archelaus was the son of Herod. And from what we know uh, from history, Archelaus had many of the bad qualities of his father. He was also a ruthless man who had no value of human life. And uh, there would have been... um, this would, have not have been, it would not have been a good situation for him to be 
in that close proximity to Jerusalem. Um, perhaps even his father <clears throat> had warned him about this king of the Jews from Bethlehem. And uh, <clears throat> so Joseph and Mary being warned to go to uh, a different part of the, the country, they, they decide to go back to Nazareth, which is a place that they know. That was where they had been when um, Joseph and Mary were married. And uh, so they go back to Nazareth. And then the, the last part of verse 23 says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. One of the difficulties here is that if you try to find that, that uh, quotation in the Old Testament, you don't find it. There's no place in the Old Testament where it says that he will be called a Nazarene. But here's what possibly was meant um, by, by Matthew, the writer. Um, during, at the time of Jesus, the town of Nazareth had become a place of, um, it would have been the last place that you would want to live. You might remember that when Nathaniel was called by Jesus to be a disciple, and he was told that Jesus of Nazareth is calling. And um, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a place that was despised. And um, so Jesus was referred to in the Old Testament as one who was despised. And it could be that Matthew made that connection and then um, said that he would be called a Nazarene as said by the prophets. Let's look at one of those prophetic words about um, Jesus being despised. This would be Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So Matthew could have been referring to this passage, and there are others in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus being despised and made the assumption that he would be called a Nazarene and saw the connection with where he lived. We'll just assume that that's what he was thinking. Well, let's read one other passage of scripture, and this will um, round out the, the childhood of Jesus. And uh, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51 and 52. We're skipping over one event from Jesus' childhood that uh, would be good to cover at some point. Um, And that would be uh, Jesus' visit with his parents during the Feast of Passover to the temple where he sat and talked with the elders when he was 12 years old. We'll skip that this time around and hopefully pick that up at another point. But I have um, a couple other uh, important events in Jesus' life that I'd like for us to cover in the next two weeks. And then um, beginning February, the first Sunday in February, we're going to be discussing the sayings of Jesus. Um, One 
thing that was discussed by or stated by Moses. He said, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me. And um, he says, you must listen to him. And that's said on a number of occasions about Jesus, that we need to listen to him. And so we're going to we're going to look at the sayings of Jesus and we're going to listen to what he had to say. That'll start in February. But let's go um, now to this passage in Luke 2.51. It says that he went down to Nazareth with them, meaning his parents, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's a beautiful description of a balanced life. He grew in wisdom, which would mean, I take that to mean um, general wisdom, wisdom for life. He did learn a trade. He was uh, taught the trade of his father, which was that of a carpenter. He grew in stature. He grew physically. He grew in favor with God and man. He looked, he learned, even though he was with God from the beginning, he continued to develop his relationship with God. And he also learned how to have good relations with men and women. So that was Jesus growing up. Let's talk about our study today. And I just want to, conclude with a a couple of observations. What happened in the study today was uh, we saw an attempt on the life of Jesus early on as a young child or a baby even by Herod. And through the passage in Revelation, we saw that this was more than just um, a human being out of control. This was the work of Satan. Satan was not about to let Jesus come into the world without a struggle. And I think it would be well for us to learn from that, that in our lives, the difficulties that we face are not struggles against flesh and blood. They're struggles against our enemy, Satan, and his demons. Does he want you to be fully sold out to God and his son, Jesus? Does he want you to live for him completely? No way. He's going to do anything in his power to prevent that from happening. And so if you have difficulty in your life, Um, it's not just chance. It's not the the neighbor. It's not the coworker. Um, Satan is involved. He's wanting to keep you from being all that God wants you to be. We need to recognize that. That's why prayer is so important. That's why daily time in God's word is so important, that we know um, how the things of God work. The second observation I want to make today is that God wins his battles through people like Joseph who are humble 
and yet obedient. How did God thwart the plan of the dragon Satan, who's depicted as he really is in Revelation chapter 12? How did he thwart this mighty creature through a humble man who was unknown, who simply got up in the middle of the night and left when God told him to? And how will God thwart the enemy in your life and my life by us doing like Joseph did, being humble and realizing that when God speaks, we need to listen and we need to obey. God can do mighty things through you and through me, even though we're nothing in the eyes of men if we obey him and if we do his will. Hallelujah. I'd like you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for the great end to this story of the coming of Christ. We realize that from the foundation of the world, it was your plan for Jesus to come to this earth and to come as a baby and yet not to die as a baby, but to die as an adult after having trained his disciples and given an example and taught so that the rest of us would know how to live and so that the rest of the world could hear the gospel through people who had been with Jesus. And so, God, we pray that in our lives, we will be like Joseph and that when you speak, we will answer and we will obey quickly, recognizing that the battles we're facing are really battles against the enemy. They're not battles against people. May we fight the enemy by being obedient to you, recognizing that you can do mighty things through humble people who obey you. Thank you for that encouragement. We pray these things in Jesus' name.